It begins with openness. The willingness to come alongside someone else. To pour out. Care. Invest. It's about sharing the journey. Doing life. Together. Growing. Forging. Becoming. It's about selflessness. Caring enough to walk through the valley. Even when it's painful. To love people as Christ has loved us. It's rejoicing when they rejoice. Hurting when they hurt. Being a hand. An encourager. A friend. We were not created to wander alone. For as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that your faith has been encouraged as you worship the Lord with us and that you realize that your God is greater than anything else that may be going on or anything else that you may be facing. And I hope you enjoyed the video as well. Uh, as, as, I, as I was looking at videos for this sermon today, that one really stuck out to me because it made me remember that we are all in the fire together that we are all being changed, we are all being transformed, and in this season, we're going through some things that we probably never thought was even possible that we were going to be experiencing, and yet God is faithful. He's given us brothers and sisters and people to walk through the fire with us, to help us to be transformed, to help us to become more like Jesus, and that is the goal, right? When the scripture says that all things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, we know that the purpose of God is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And so I encourage you, as we walk through this season of difficulty and, 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 and just a trying time, that you really find brothers and sisters, not only that can encourage you, but that you can be an encouragement to them. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to the gospel of John chapter 3. The gospel of John chapter 3. And we're going to be, be, be reading from verse 1 to verse 15. That's John chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 15. And as you're turning there, uh, normally I would have you stand up, and so you're not in the building right now, and you can decide if you want to stand to read this scripture with me or not. But the only reason why I do that is because that is a way for us to reverence God. But today we are going to be continuing in our series whenever necessary, and we're looking at what it is and how it is that Jesus dealt with different people. And so if you have your Bible in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 1, this is what it says there. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear, and that you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you so very much for this day that you've given us, that you've allowed us to gather together in different places and different spaces to worship, to glorify, and to honor your name. And this morning, Lord God, as we come together before you and your word, we pray that you would remove every distraction from our minds. Father, that in these next few moments together, that we would hear your voice and that we would be obedient, that we would respond to you in faith, my God. Father, glorify yourself through the preaching and through the hearing of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen, amen, and amen. If you were standing, you can have a seat now. And if not, I want you to just think about this. Today, we're going to talk about from darkness to light. Going from darkness to light. I want to give a shout out uh, to Pastor Mark Driscoll. I, I was looking at one of his um, Instagram posts, and he posted something that stuck with me, and it, and it is this, that the world has come face to face with two basic truths. And those two basic truths are this. One, we're not in control. And number two, we are all going to die. We are not in control and we are all going to die. Our finitude and our, mora our morality leave us in the dark. That's why I'm talking about going from darkness to light. When you think about the fact that all of us, that, that we realize that we are not in control. Sometimes we think that we're in control of our lives. We believe that we are in control of our lives. We think we control stuff, but the reality is we are not really in control. In moments that we are in right now, we start to see how little control we have of things. We don't know a lot of stuff. We're not in control of everything that we wish we could be in control of. And the second thing that, that leaves us in the dark is the fact that we are all going to die. Now, that may sound morbid in a terrible way to begin a sermon, but I want you to understand something. We have a, church, have a choice. If you're a Christian, you're listening to this, you have a choice, and you can either run, you can either hide in the darkness of fear and anxiety and even apathy, or you can run to the light, which is Jesus. Those are the choices we have. We can either hide in the darkness, we can hide in the shadows, we can hide in uncertainty, we can hide in fear, or we can run to the light of Jesus Christ. We can run to the light of who Jesus is. I want you to think about this in this story here, Nicodemus, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't come during the day. 
He comes to Jesus in the dark hour. And I believe that that is a symbolic thing of, of where he was. He was in the dark. He was wrestling with some things. And he comes to Jesus in the dark for what? For illumination. He comes to Jesus to receive some light. And so here's what I want you to think about today. As the sun is lifted up, the sun will rise and the light will shine. As the sun is lifted up, as he is lifted up, the sun will rise and the light will shine. Here, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this, if you will commit to lifting Jesus up, if you will commit to bringing glory and honor to Jesus, you need to know that he will rise in your situation. If you are not a follower of Christ and you're hearing us today, you need to know that if you will lift Christ up, if you will bow your heart to him, that he will rise and guess what? The light will shine. And we don't know when that light's going to shine, right? Because the light could shine. You know, right now in Florida, we just were um, given this um, 30 days of stay at home. And so, you know, we went from bad to worse in so many situations and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what's going on? And when is it that we're going to be able to come out of our homes? It, it's, it, it's such a trying and difficult time. But the reality that we are in right now is that we know who to run to if we're believers. We know who we run to, and we know that the light is in Jesus. And I, I want to make a confession to you because, you know, I'm a guy, I'm gonna, I'll say it like this, I don't like the dark. We'll say it that way. I don't like the dark. But you know what I notice? When someone else is in the dark with me, even if they're sleeping, even if they're not a big person, I like, I'm okay being in the dark a little bit more. Not much more, but a little bit more. It doesn't seem as scary when someone else is in the dark with me, even if I can't turn the light on. But here's the beauty of this, is that Jesus is there. Jesus wants to be that light that shines in the midst of your darkness. And so my encouragement is that you commit to lifting up the sun. So the first thing that I want you to think about this morning is this, the real questions deserve real answers. Real questions deserve real answers. And so Jesus, to go back into the context of what's happening here, at night, it doesn't tell us when exactly, but if you look at verses one through two, we'll just read those together. It says this, it says, there was a certain man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so think about this. This is a man who the scriptures clearly say that he came to Jesus. He is a teacher of the Jewish people. He is one who what? Who, who knew the laws of God. And he was one that was respected in the Jewish culture. He comes to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he does what? He comes to Christ and he, tell, he, he honors him and he respects him. So I need you to realize this. He came to Jesus with real questions and he got real answers. And now you know like I know. There's people out there that they come to you and they have questions, but they're not real questions. They're not really trying to ask you questions because they really want to know the answer. They're asking you questions because they are blowing smoke. They're trying to get you away from uh, really thinking about what it is that they are, are, are really dealing with. They don't want you to deal with the sin that may be going on in their lives. They don't want you to deal with what's really going on in their hearts. But then there are other people. They come to you and they have questions. 
And here's the thing that I want you to realize is that sometimes those questions sound exactly alike. And you have to be able to determine when somebody is coming to you with questions that are sincere or questions that are not real. Notice Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus with sincerity. He's not testing Jesus. We know this because he calls him rabbi. That's a word of respect. He is calling him rabbi. He is showing him respect. He's deferring to him. He's saying, rabbi, we know that you are come from God. We know that no one can do the signs that you do. He is showing him respect. And so here's the other thing we realize. And I said it earlier. He came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus in private, which probably means what? It means that he wasn't ready to make a full-on public confession of his faith. But what? But he was in a situation where he had some questions. He's wrestling with some stuff, and he comes to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus deals with his question and gives him real answers. But I want you to notice they're not easy answers. We're going to talk about those answers as we walk through this text. But Jesus gives him real answers. As a matter of fact, if you look at the text, he doesn't even ask Jesus a question at this moment, and yet Jesus proceeds to give him answers that provoke him to ask other questions. He begins to say things to him that are not easy, things that he needs to hear. We have to realize that there are people that have real questions, and we must be ready to uh, engage them. They may not be ready to come to church, and they can't come to church anyway right now because we're not allowed, but here's the thing. <laughs> they would be more than willing to sit down and have a conversation with you. They'd be more than willing to sit down and communicate with you about what it is that you are, that, that you believe, what it is that you understand about Christ. See, church, here's the thing that I want to say is that you have to stay connected. You got to hear this. You have to stay connected to the source of truth in the midst of these trying times to ensure that you are able to give answers to tough questions. And sometimes those tough questions also produce tough answers. And as we're going to see here, Jesus gave some tough answers, some answers that are not completely easy to understand. And hopefully, by the end of this message, you understand these truths that Jesus was communicating. And so I would ask you to say this if you were sitting here. The second thing is this. If you're not convinced, you won't be, you won't be convincing. If you are not convinced, you won't be convincing. If you're not convinced of the truth, you're not going to be convincing. You're not going to convince others. I just want you to look at verse 3 and verse 5 and verse 11. Look at what Jesus says in these verses. Jesus just starts. I just want you to see just the beginning. In the translation that I have, which is the New King James Version, it says in verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly. And then you go on to verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus goes on, he, or in verse 5, he says, Jesus answered most assuredly. And then you go to verse 11, and what does Jesus say there? Most assuredly, I say to you. What is Jesus trying to convey? When Jesus is saying most assuredly, in other translations, he says verily, verily, what he is trying to convey is that I have some real truth that you need to understand. I have some real truth that I want you to grasp. I'm telling you things that matter so much. You need to get this stuff. And so Jesus begins to communicate these truths unto him. So let's look at that verse 3 again. And it says this. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so, and, and, and Nicodemus responds in verse four, and, and, and as you're looking there, he says this, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus responds in verse five, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Man, Jesus is talking about some deep stuff here. He's talking about some stuff like, what does he mean? Nicodemus' mind is blown at this moment, right? Like, if you had that emoji, you'd have that mind-blown emoji, right? Like, what is he saying here? What is he communicating? What, what do you mean I got to be born again? What do you mean I got to be born of the Spirit and of water? I don't get this. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Look what Jesus says to him in verse 10. Jesus says, to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Verse 11, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know. I love that. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If you're not convinced, you won't be convincing. Jesus was communicating truth that he knew, not truth that his mother told him, not truth that his father told him, not truth that his uncle told him, not truth that his friend told him. He was speaking truth that he knew, truth that he had encountered himself, truth that he understood. And obviously, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And so Jesus is communicating this. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we really believe? As you sit there, and we're going through times of uncertainty and times of doubting and times of crisis, the question I want to ask you sincerely, not, not, not to be judgmental, not to make you feel some kind of way, but simply to say, do you believe? Are you really filled with hope when things are dark, when things are confusing? Here's my question. Do you cry out to the Lord like this? Now listen to this. Do you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. You see, there was a guy that needed Jesus to do something, and he, he was trying to get his child delivered from demon possession, and the disciples laid hands on the, on the kid. The kid was not delivered from the demon possession, and what did he cry out? He cried out to Jesus, Lord. Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible. And his response to Jesus was, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. So in these dark moments, are you crying out, Lord, help my unbelief, or have you stopped crying out to the Lord completely? See, those are signs, and those answer the question, do you believe? See, Jesus shared some monumental truth about eternal life. He shared some things that were extremely important for Nicodemus and for all of us to understand. This chapter 3 in the book in the Gospel of John is probably one of the most, um, one of the most popular, well-known chapters in, 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 in our time. John 3.16, you have uh, people who, who know this verse, or at least they know the quote, the, the citation of it. They might 
might may not know what the verse says. Tim Tebow, he used to put it right here in his face. John 3.16, communicating what? Trying to communicate a message to the world. But this whole episode that we're reading here is Jesus speaking to one of the great teachers of Israel, who we believe by all accounts, ended up getting saved and becoming a disciple and follower of Jesus later on. But at this point, wasn't ready to make that full commitment. And yet he comes to this place. And when he comes to this place, he has this, this moment. And here's, and here's the thing. Are you, as a follower of Jesus, are you convinced of those foundational truths? Listen, are you convinced, because this is foundational, are you convinced that God is good? Are you convinced that God is creator? Are you convinced that God is sovereign, meaning that God is sitting on a throne, that he's not shaken as your life is shaken, that he's not worried as you may be worried, that he's not anxious as you may be Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Because if you don't believe those things, here's what happens. If you don't have that firm foundation in your life, when your faith is shaken, it won't stand the test. It won't stand the test. And God wants us to stand the test, especially the one that we're going through. Now, the third thing I want you to think about this morning is the scandal of the gospel is what saves people. The scandal of the gospel is what saves people. As we read from verses 10 and to verse 17, really, as we read from there and Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he challenges him. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? And he goes on, as I said, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. See, here's the thing I want you to think about for a moment. The scandal of the gospel, what do I mean by that? The, the, you know, I've heard, you, may, you may have heard this before. The gospel is scandalous. Well, what does that mean? So think about whatever scandal you can. I'm not going to name anything because I, I don't, I don't want to do that. But just think about that, right? Like, like, like think about that person that you know, you know. You know that person who is with somebody who you know they shouldn't be with, right? That, that, that person that's in a relationship that is bad for them. And, 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 they, and, and they're doing things that you know are not right. Those things are what we would call scandalous, right? You think about things that have happened in our government. Those things are scandalous. Here's the story I want you to see. A good king becomes a servant. He suffers at the hands of those he loves. Rather than retaliating against them, he invites them into a relationship with him. And as a matter of fact, this was his plan eternally. Now think about that for a moment. A good king, someone who is good, someone who is gracious, someone who is kind and merciful, has never done anything wrong. Kings don't bow. Kings don't become servants. That's not what happens. This king does that. This king becomes a servant. He comes, becomes a servant, and not just that, he becomes a servant for us. He becomes a servant for those that are there at the time when he arrives. And, to, and, and, and the ones that he wants to serve, those are the ones that rebel against him. Those are the ones that, that, that persecute him. Those are the ones that lie about him. Those are the ones that mistreat him. Those are the ones that dishonor him. And this king still has all the power, still has all the authority, still has all of the ability to call wrath upon these people. And rather than do that, do that, what does he do? He shows them mercy. He invites his enemies into a relationship with him. 
And so as we look at this story and, and, and this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, we see Jesus begin to talk about this scandal. Because Nicodemus is overwhelmed. He's like, man, I got to be born again. I got to be born of water. And we're going to unpack that in a moment. But then Jesus comes to this point, And as we continue to read in the text here, he says in verse 12, we'll read it. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so just pausing, what has Jesus done? Jesus talks to the man about wind, and he's like, you see how the wind works? You see how the wind operates? And you don't even understand that completely, and you can't grasp the magnitude. You're the teacher of Israel. You don't even get this. He's like, how can I tell you deeper things if you can't get these basic things? It goes on in verse 13. He says, and no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And so any religion that boasts about anyone going to heaven or anything like that, those are lies. Those are false. Why? Because the reality is there is one who came down from heaven. It's not us going to heaven. It's the one that came down from heaven. Jesus comes from heaven to give this message, to show this servanthood. But he goes on and he says this in verse 14, and here is where we begin to see the scandalous side of all of this. And as Moses lifted up in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Look what he says, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so just to take a moment to give you just a little bit of context, the children of Israel were rebelling against God. And because of their rebellion against God, there was a plague that came among the people and they, and they were bitten by snakes and they were, they, they were getting sick and dying. And then God decides to be merciful. And when he decides to be merciful, he tells Moses, he's got to lift up this serpent on a, on, on a rod. And, and the people, when they looked at the serpent, they would be healed. And so this is the picture that Jesus is giving of himself is that he is like that, not like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, but that serpent that is bringing healing. That serpent that is bringing healing unto these people, this spiritual healing that is necessary, is what Jesus is actually pointing to himself as. And so you got to think, Nicodemus is like, oh my goodness, he's talking about dying. He's talking about being lifted up as this savior, as this one that is bringing healing in some way. And then he goes on, as he says in verse 15, for whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, what was Jesus' whole context and conversation that he was having with Nicodemus about? The whole context, the whole conversation he was having with Nicodemus, it was about this. It was about eternal life. Not about this life, but about eternal life. So what do we learn from Jesus in his encounter with Nicodemus? So if you're taking notes, you should write these things down. The first thing is this. Only the Spirit can save. Only the Spirit can save. He tells him what? You must be born again. He communicates to him, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. He, go, he explains to him that the, the way that the wind blows, you don't know how it blows, but you see its effects. And so what is he saying? Only the Spirit can save. Only the Spirit can save. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Titus really quickly. The book of Titus chapter 3. And we're going to read from chapter 3. We're going to actually, I'm going to read from verse 4 and, 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 and go down to verse 7. But this is what Titus, what, God, what, what Paul is writing to Titus. He says this. He says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, remember earlier on in John, you had to be born of water and of the Spirit and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I want you to notice verse 5. It says here, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to realize, is that you cannot save yourself. Your good works don't save you. Your religious devotion doesn't save you. And your spirituality does not save you. You need to hear that. It is, it is not you. You cannot save yourself. You must be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? What it, well, well, when a person is born the first time, that means they come to life, right? They are born into this world. They're, they're, they're born into this world. They are brought in to this world. And when a person is born again, it means that they are given new life. And so think about this with me for a moment. They are given new life. This is spiritual birth. It's not something that I can fully explain to you. What I can tell you is it's something that you have to experience. See, new life is something you have to experience. And here's the thing. I want to ask you this question. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? I didn't ask, do you go to church? I know right now you can't make it to the building, but here's the thing. My question is not, do you go to church? My question is not, did you say a prayer one day? My question is not, do you go to Bible study? My question is not, do you consider yourself spiritual? My question is none of those things. My question is, have you experienced new life? And that new life will be accompanied with what? It will be accompanied with new desires and offense with sinful things. And so here's how you know you have new life, because when you have been born again, you are given new life. You are brought to life again. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our trespasses in our sins, and God has to give us new life, and that's something that God does all by himself. And so as you're watching this, I want to ask that question. Have you experienced new life? Let me tell you about my experience with new life. When I first came to Christ, I mean, before I came to Jesus, I was a guy that was, that was involved in drugs. I was a guy that I had, a, I had the ultimate, the ultimate potty mouth. My mom can attest to you if you ever meet her, if you don't know her, but you can ask her. I would curse in the house, and because I had younger brothers and sisters that were there, she would say, don't curse, and I would curse just to spite her again. I had a filthy mouth. I had, I had a certain way of living. I lived immorally. And so when I got born again, the night that uh, I, Jesus came, entered my life, and changed my life, I can tell you something. Almost immediately, certain things began to change inside of me. I suddenly had a desire for different things. Listen, I hated, I, I hated, I, I still don't really like reading, but I can tell you what I love to read is God's word. I love to read God's word. Because what? Because this isn't just a book. 
This is living. I didn't realize any of that stuff when I first got saved. All I know is the first three months of me being a Christian, I read through the entire New Testament because there was a desire. I never really prayed and really saw God. Man, I couldn't get enough of prayer. I couldn't get enough of being in worship with the, with the body of Christ. I remember one Sunday, I don't remember, I was probably a Christian for maybe three years. And I remember I missed one Sunday morning because I worked a job that was overnight. And I'll never forget when I, when I, I woke up that next day and I was like, man, I'm so tired. Tired, you know, Saturday to Sunday morning. I was so exhausted. I didn't get home early. I couldn't take the nap that I normally did before church. I said, man, I'm just going to stay home today. Man, I never forget. I woke up that day. I felt so bad because I didn't go to church. And why does it even matter? I was tired. I need to rest. But I realized there was something missing. See, there was some desires that were in me that were different. But then there was also some other stuff. You know that potty mouth that I had? Man, suddenly I was offended by the use of profanity in my, in, in my life. I can, I can deal with somebody else using profanity. That's on them. But here's the thing. For me, I know that that, that language is vulgar. That language doesn't honor God. I realized those things. The drugs that I used to do, I no longer desired them. I know those things offended God. And so here's the question again. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the new life that Christ gives? Do you have those new desires? Are you offended with sin? The first thing we realize is that, is that only the Spirit can save. The second thing that we realize in this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus is that honor for Christ is not enough. Honor for Christ is not enough. Now, here's what I want you to realize. There's a lot of people that think a lot of good stuff about Jesus. There's a lot of religions that believe good stuff about Jesus. For example, Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet. That's a powerful title to give anyone in your religion. For Christianity, if I'm going to say you're a prophet, I am saying you are a spokesperson for God. I'm saying something pretty powerful about you. Muslims, they believe they're, they're, that, that prophets have a certain dignity, a certain rank, a certain rule. Guess what? They believe Jesus was a prophet. They just don't believe that he's God the Son. If you look at the Hindu religion, guess what? Hindus honor Jesus as one of many deities. They believe he's a God. He's just one of many gods. He's not the one true God. He is one of many gods. And so therefore, they honor him. They think highly of him. New Agers, what do they do? They regard Jesus as being truly spiritual. They feel like he's a sage. He is one who, who, who is the incarnation of deity, but they don't believe he's a savior of the world. They don't believe that he is God the Son. If you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, guess what? They honor him. They honor him as what? The firstborn of all creation. They honor him not just as the firstborn of all creation, but he is the highest ranking angel of all the angels. Listen, to be a high ranking angel is a big deal, but it is not the equivalent of Jesus being God the Son. It's not a just to honor Jesus. Let me say it like this. Millions think of him as worthy of obedience. They'll read his book. They'll read this book and they will obey some of the things that are in there because they believe they should. It's good for them. They believe in obedience. They believe in honoring him. They may even believe in worshiping him, but here's what I want you to know because that's not enough. It is not enough just to think highly of Jesus. It is not enough just to think that Jesus is a prophet or that Jesus is a spiritual man or Jesus is a sage or Jesus is a teacher. It is imperative for us that we understand that Jesus is God, that he is reigning at the right hand of the Father, that he is equal in authority with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. It is important for us to understand that we must acknowledge that Jesus is the only Lord and the only Savior. 
See, Nicodemus made it crystal clear. I mean, Jesus made it crystal clear to Nicodemus that you had to be born again. You have to call Jesus Lord. And the third thing that we find here is the centrality of the cross. Again, we just read in the text about Jesus being lifted up comparatively to this serpent. But here's the thing we have to realize is that the cross, the cross is offensive. Paul said in his day that the cross was foolishness. And I would repeat the same thing. When you preach the cross in our day, it's foolishness. Someone died on a cross. What do I need that for? Oh, someone died. It, it doesn't even matter. Here's the thing. Let me tell you what the cross does. This is why people don't like the cross. Even some Christians, this is sad, but some Christians don't even like the cross. You know why? Because the cross reminds you you're a sinner. See, when you look at the cross, you know what you're reminded of? See, when I look at the cross, I cannot look at the cross without being reminded of my sin. I can't look at the cross without being reminded of my lustfulness when I was, before I came to Christ with the struggles that I have with sin in my life presently. I cannot be remind, I cannot look at the cross without being reminded of where I fall short. I cannot look at the cross without looking at all of my failures because when I look at the cross, I am reminded, man, I'm a sinner. But here's the beauty of looking at the cross. Because not only am I reminded that I'm a sinner, I'm reminded that somebody did something for me that I could never do for myself. See, I'm reminded not only of my sin, but I am reminded of my glorious, amazing, merciful Savior who died for my sin. So when I look at the cross, I'm not only reminded of the negative, but I'm reminded of my deliverer. I'm reminded of the one who offered me eternal life. You see, the cross is the only way to eternal life. People don't want to hear that. That's why it's offensive. Because they want to save themselves. They want to deliver themselves. They want to believe they're good. They want to believe that they don't need help. The reality is you cannot help yourself into heaven. God must save you and he must deliver you. Eternal life is only through the cross. Freedom from sin is only in the cross. The cross reminds us, and this I love, the cross reminds us that God is not indebted to us, but that we owe him everything. See, that's what the cross reminds us. God doesn't owe us anything. God has done everything for us. And the most important thing he did for us is he laid his life down for us so we could have a relationship with him. And so here's the thing. The goal, I want you to understand this. The goal isn't church attendance. The goal isn't good works. The goal isn't even moral living. What the goal is, is new life. And that new life begins with a new heart. And that can only be given by God. And so one more time, I want to ask the question. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you cried out to God and said, God, save me from my sin? And if you have cried out to him, are you continuing to depend on him for that salvation? Are you continuing to depend on him for the grace to live for his glory? Listen, if you're listening right now and you have not humbled yourself before God, today is the day.
God wants you to be born again. Cry out to him. I can't make you born again. I can't pray some magical prayer or, or, or speak some incantation over you to make you be born again. What I can say is that if you will humble yourself before God, if you will call upon him and cry out to him and say, God, forgive me a sinner. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe the same way that he gave me new life, he'll give you new life. And so today, cry out to him. Today, call upon him. Today, believe that he wants to give you new life. My closing question that I have for you is this. Are you committed to being a light in these dark times? Are you committed to being a light in these dark times? Are you committed to being a light that's shining brightly in the darkness that we are living? We are living in dark days. We are living in days where there is so much confusion in church. Here's what I want to remind you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to lift up the sun. You have a responsibility to lift up the sun. As I said earlier, is this, as the sun is lifted up, the sun will rise and the light will shine. Our responsibility, if you're a follower of Jesus listening to me today, your responsibility is to lift up the sun. Lift up the name of Jesus. Proclaim your faith in him. It's all right to doubt. It's all right to struggle. But don't live in that space. Live in the place where you believe, where you trust, and you know that your God is still on the throne. Let the world know that where there is no hope anywhere else, there is still hope in that same Jesus who died on the cross and not only died, but rose again. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy that you have shown us in your son. We thank you for dying in our place, dying for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus for every person that's listening to me right now, God, for every person that is tuned in right now. Father, for believers, I pray for them that you would strengthen their faith today, that you fill them with faith, that you fill them with trust, that you fill them with the hope that is in you. And for those that are listening, God, that haven't made a commitment to you, today, God, I pray for them. I pray that you would grip their heart right where they are and that you would show them the magnitude of your love and that you would let them know, Lord God, that you want to walk with them in the midst of this dark time. Father, may you be glorified in each and every one of these lives. And I pray all of these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed today that Jesus Christ would be Lord of your life, if you want to be born again today, if you want more information today, I encourage you, inbox us. Let us know that you want to know more about Jesus. We want to help you in this season to walk in a relationship with him. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to know that you are beginning a relationship with God. Today is the perfect day to do that. And so if you didn't pray already, you can pray right now. Just ask the Lord to be in your heart. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.